One Week Season. season fam welcome to the week 10 edition of the ows angles podcast i am your host i am your guest i am jm to win throw this baby on 1.5 x speed if you want to and let's get started before we dive into this week's slate i want to talk about something that i think is extremely important And that is, I'll put it like this, that's the fact that you can make money in DFS, but the money you make in DFS will optimally pale in comparison to the money you make in other areas of your life as a result of DFS. Here's what I mean by that. The skills required in order to be good at DFS are skills that can be applied to just about any area of your life. So there are people who are successful in DFS because they already have these mindsets nailed down and their thoughts have been built to work this way. And so they've been able to translate their success in other areas of life over to DFS. So I use the example from time to time of Beep I'm a Jeep, who is a national board game champion and doesn't watch sports, can't pronounce players' names, but is dominant in DFS. Uh, I've talked about Brandon Adams in the past. Brandon Adams owns advanced sports analytics. He is a relatively well-known poker player. He's also a professor of, I believe it's a professor of macroeconomics at Harvard, is extremely wealthy, is friends with Nate Silver, and has been able to take his knowledge and understanding of psychology and economics and so on and so forth and apply that to DFS. Cal Spears, who started Roto-Grinders, is another one I've talked about in the past. Cal started Pocket Fives during the online poker boom before he started Roto-Grinders. That was one of the most popular and successful sites in the online poker space. Cal also, I think this is really cool, he owns an apartment in Nashville, Nashville, which is where he's from and which is where Roto-Grinders is based. He owns an apartment in Nashville that's on one of the main streets where all the bars and restaurants are, where all the bachelorette parties come through, where all the weekend partygoers go. And he Airbnbs that apartment. But when he bought that apartment, it was one of only, I think it was one of only four apartments in like that entire section of downtown Nashville. Now that's coveted property. But at the time, it was just forward thinking to get an apartment in that area. And that same type of thinking of basically seeing around what everybody else is seeing in order to see what's ahead or what's most plus EV is something that you can take from other areas of life and apply to DFS. But also, it's something that you can learn in DFS and apply to other areas of life. So I don't want to belabor this point too much, but one of the things that I've talked about over the years is how intelligent people are in this space and how much I've learned and grown myself in this space by being willing to 
ask questions, by being willing to learn things from other people. I'll, I'll give one more example. Levitan, I've talked in the past about conversations that I had with Levitan years ago about his process-oriented approach to his schedule and to his life. And some of the things that I picked up from him that I was able to apply to my own life that have dramatically enhanced my ability to be productive and organized and still have space for everything that I want to have space for. And so again, taking the tools you learn in DFS and applying them to other areas of your life can have an enormous impact on those other areas of your life. That's your personal life, your internal life, uh, your relationships, your businesses, your creative pursuits, whatever it might be. You can take the things that you're learning in DFS and apply them more broadly. Now, before we move forward, I'm going to walk through an example of this, and it's a very pertinent example, and you'll see why here in just a minute. But in this example, I'm going to give you two options. This is important, okay? So pay attention to this because this is all going somewhere. Option one, I have a product that costs $40. Option one is you can give me $40, and I will give you that product, Option two, now think about which option is better here, okay? Option one, you give me 40 bucks, I give you the product. Option two, you give me 25 bucks. I still give you the product. I also give you an additional $25 back, plus the $25 that you gave to me. Now, there's a catch here. You now have $50. So instead of giving me $40 and getting the product, you have $50, 25 of which was your own, 25 of which came from me. You've gotten the product for free, but you can't touch this $50 yet. In order to be able to pocket this $50, you first have to place some bets on NFL games or prop bets. If you place all these bets and you're wrong, you lose that $50, but you still got the product and all of you, all that you risked of your own money was 25 bucks. If you get some of these prop bets and bets on games and whatnot correct, you not only got the product for free, but you got to pocket the $50 plus whatever profit you made off of it. Now, it should be pretty obvious to us which of these options is the more plus EV option. Uh, in the one option, you spend $40 to get the product. In the other option, you risk $25, still get the product, and have a chance to get a bunch of money back. What's interesting is this is something we've had set up for you guys for two years on the site. If you go to Marketplace, most of the Marketplace products are $39. And people come through all the time and spend $39 on a Marketplace product. At the top of the Marketplace page, there's a place that says make Marketplace free. And if you go there, you have an option to deposit money on a sports book through OWS. If you deposit just $25, you get 100 edge points. Most of these products, the $39 products, cost 75 edge points. So basically, you get the product for free with edge points left over. And so instead of spending $39 on OWS, you put $25 on BetMGM or PointsBet or whatever. They give you $25 
addition, uh, in addition to the $25 you put in. Now, again, you don't get to take that money out right away. You have to quote, play through it and you play through them at different rates. Like bet rivers and sugar house. It's a one-to-one match. So every $5 that you bet, you basically get that $5 released from them and you can bet with that money as well. And then if you win those bets, you get to keep that money. Uh, but different sites have different playthrough rates, but the if you look at this whole big picture, you're risking $25, putting yourself in position to get money back, and you get this $39 product. Now, it's on me that I've done a poor job of kind of laying that out for you guys in, in that sort of framework. But that's also the sort of thing that somebody like Cubs fan is always looking for. Somebody like Zandemir is always looking for. I've talked before about how often I'll get texts from Cubs fan from Zandemir about overlay on other sites or tournaments with weaker player fields. Or when we talked about fantasy draft back in the day, relentlessly, and how many people that are on OWS now built up their bankroll through playing on fantasy draft. Cubs fan, for example, has accounts with every sports book in his state. Why? Because on every single one of those, he was able to take advantage of free money through deposit bonuses. And on top of that, let's look at it like this. Let's say that you want to bet. You're looking at prop bets and you see over under for Austin Eckler rushing yards is 72 and a half yards, for example. And you think through this and you think, well, you know, they really, let's look at his game logs. He really doesn't get as many rushing yards as most people would think. I feel pretty confident, right? Like we don't talk about things in terms of sure bets because there's no such thing as sure bets. Watch NFL games. You'll understand there's no such thing as sure bets. But what we talk about things in terms of is what would happen most often if we played out this slate a hundred times. And so you could look at this and say, man, I feel really confident that if we played out this game a hundred times, Austin Eckler would finish below 72 and a half rushing yards, 55 or 60 times at least, making this a plus EV bet. That's great. That's a good step. But then the next step, the, the step that somebody like Cubs fan takes is then you go look at the, the prop bet for that bet on other sports books. And maybe you find that over here on, maybe on Bet Rivers, it was 72 and a half yards, but over here on Points Bet, it's 77 and a half yards. And over here on Bet MGM, it's 79 and a half yards. So you were already feeling like it was a plus EV bet on the 72 and a half yards under. And so now you can just go to the site where it's 79 and a half yards, and that makes it that much more plus EV. So the idea here is not only do you get to take advantage of the extra deposit bonuses, but you also get to take advantage of the line inefficiencies and finding the best line for your bet, which makes a big difference over time. Now, in case you didn't guess, I'm bringing all that up right now because that is our mission, mission four, excuse me, mission four out of seven for our OWS missions drawings. If you don't know what the OWS missions is, click the missions page in the menu on the homepage or anywhere on the site and you'll get the information there. I won't go through it all right now, but the mission this week is to sign up for sports books in your state. The cool thing is, so if you wanted, you could say, I'll deposit 25 bucks here and get a $39 marketplace course with edge points left over. Or you could say, I'll deposit 39 bucks instead of spending 39 bucks on a, on a, marketplace course, I'll deposit 39 bucks. Now I'm basically investing what I would have invested in the course, but I'm giving myself an opportunity to make money with that betting on prop bets, betting on games and getting that $39 match from the sports book. Or if you have a bigger bankroll, you can do a hundred bucks, 150, 200 bucks, and they'll match that. Obviously that's the most plus EV thing you can do. But if you're looking at this in terms of just, Hey, look, I'm getting marketplace courses at a significant discount. Just drop 25 bucks on one of these sites and then play through it. 
The next thing I want to encourage you to do, well, actually, let me say this first. If you're, we're live in like 11 states where we have partnerships with sports books, uh, Connecticut, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Virginia, several others, uh, but Michigan. So you can check the uh, Colorado, you can ch- check the missions page to see if we're live in your state. If we're not live in your state, you can still get entries into the missions drawing by emailing us with the state that you're in. And we'll let you know when we're live in your state. Uh, in addition to getting the free money from the sports books, the marketplace courses at a discount, we're also giving you 10 entries into the week 15 drawings for every sports book you sign up for. So basically just massively plus EV opportunity right now by just taking advantage of this, by looking for that little edge. So the next thing I want to talk about here is it would be very easy And I think this is extremely important, tying back into what we talked about at the top with using DFS as a way to train yourself to get better in all areas of life, to learn as much as you can. It would be easy to drop 25 bucks on two points bet and say, look, I'm I'm getting a marketplace course that would have cost me $39. I'm getting it for 25 bucks. Plus points bet is giving me 25 bucks and I get to bet with this money. And if I do well enough with these bets, I get to pocket this money, which means the course was totally free. Plus I got this profit. It would be easy to then take that and be like, cool, let me just pick a couple prop bets and bet them and hope that I'm right. What would be much smarter and what I would encourage you to do is to use this as a training opportunity. In other words, say, I'm putting in 25 bucks. They're giving me 25 bucks. That's $50 in bankroll. Let me focus on these prop bets. Let me read high-lows early bets in the reflection scroll each week. Let me read edge bets in the scroll each week. Let me listen to the betting podcast with Hilo and Pavel midweek on the on the one week season podcast feed. And let me find bets. Let me read the NFL edge and find my own bets that I think are sharp plus EV bets. Let me focus and see if I can turn this $50 into $100. Now you've gotten the marketplace course for free and you've gotten $75 in profit in order to get that market or or in is as the effect from getting that marketplace course for free. And along the way, you've grown as a DFS player, as a thinker, by dedicating actual time and attention to where you're placing these bets, to finding plus EV bets. And I'll wrap this up by saying, I think that this is really important to think about. Why has Brandon Ayuk not been getting targets for the 49ers? Well, if you look under the hood, listen to beat writers, things that Shanahan's saying, things that Ayuk has been saying, it's because he hasn't been practicing or wasn't practicing the way that the 49ers wanted him to practice. Uh, Reports have had this kind of changing over the last month or so, which is why we've started seeing his role change a little bit, which is why I had him on one or two of my three rosters last week at 4,100, basically saying, hey, we're closer to this blow up happening than people probably realize. But the idea behind Brandon Ayuk not practicing the way they wanted him to practice, it wasn't that he was not running fast in practice or not catching the ball or not doing his reps. It was basically that he wasn't treating each and every rep as an extremely important rep. He wasn't deeply focused and in the zone and fully engaged and treating every rep like an opportunity to get better, like an opportunity to perform exactly the way that he needs to perform in the game. There is a difference between between being locked in 
with your focus, with your mindset, and just going through the motions physically on something. It sounds funny from the outside, especially if you read enough of the combine stats and measurables and all that stuff, and you put too much weight on that stuff and not enough weight on the football side of things. Uh, Another example, and the last example I'll give here is, and I'll kind of tie this together, it's from two different teams, but we've talked for years about how the Patriots don't draft the best athletes. It almost seems at times like they go out of their way to not draft the best athletes. But what they are finding is football players, players who will be engaged week in and week out in practice and in the games, which is why everybody always says that the word versatility best describes the entire Patriots roster is because they find guys who can do different things in different games based on the game plan that they want for those particular games. But also the Patriots, more than any other team in the league year in and year out, get better throughout the season. Who they are in week four is not who they are in week eight, is not who they are in week 12, is not who they are in week 16. And there have been so many times where the Patriots during those Super Bowl years didn't look like a Super Bowl team in week four or five or six. But by the the time they got to the end of the season, that's where they were. Take that over to Tom Brady, who is the quarterback of those teams. Look at the Buccaneers last year. Nobody was projecting the Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl around week seven or eight last year. But by the time they got into the playoffs, it looked almost inevitable because they were playing at such a higher level than they had been playing. They were improving so consistently. And and one of the things I talked about in the NFL Edge this week, why are we so confident that the Bucs will continue passing the ball deep into games even when they have a lead? It is because... Tom Brady understands that the teams that are going to be best positioned to win a Super Bowl at the end of the season are going to be the teams that are getting better right now. And one of the best ways to get better is live reps in a real NFL game against a real NFL team. And so the Patriots or or the, the Buccaneers and then the dominant Patriots teams of the past when they had years where they were just better than other teams and Brady was the quarterback are teams that you can rely on to continue attacking deep into a game, even with a big lead, not because they're trying to rub it in the opponent's face, but because they're trying to get better. Every single play is taken on its own as an opportunity to improve. So once you start looking for opportunities like this, like we just talked about with the sports book thing that we have set up for you guys, once you start looking for opportunities like that, you start seeing them more often. Once you start applying that level of focus to each prop bet you're putting into play, you start to build that thought process. You start to build those patterns in your mind to where you're thinking more deeply into things and you're seeing angles that other people aren't thinking or aren't seeing. You're thinking through nuances and through all the different sides of a topic and coming to a high level of confidence in the way that you're seeing things. And that allows you, people always ask, how do you assess process over results? Well, that's kind of part of it is you have to be able to assess it before the results come out. And you have to be able to say, okay, I think this is a 55 percent chance. I think this is a 60% chance, right? So you know that you're going to be wrong sometimes, but if you can trust that you have thought through the angles, if the way that something doesn't break your way is something that you've already foreseen as a possibility because you've thought through the angles, that helps you understand that your process is sharp. Over time, the results come. The profitability is there. So I want to encourage you, obviously, you know, this whole missions thing, right? Part of it is because uh, you know, COVID hit us last year as far as the number of renewals that we got compared to what we would expect, the amount of growth that we got compared to what we would expect. And as I've talked about, we've put a lot of money into the site and we're still a few years away from getting a lot of money out. And in order for me to still be here and not sell the site between now and then, we have to kind of bridge some gaps. So this mission, the reason we're giving out 10 edge points 
per sportsbook or 10 entries per sportsbook you sign up for and 100 edge points is because this mission actually helps OWS quite a bit. So I want to encourage you just from that perspective to take advantage of this. But more importantly, for yourself, if you have bought a marketplace course at any point, or if you plan to buy a marketplace course at any point, don't go spend 39 bucks on it. Instead, go scoop up edge points, scoop up 100 edge points, deposit 25 bucks in a sports book, get 25 bucks back, and get a bunch of practice playing through this money with prop bets in ways that will help you to develop your thinking for DFS in ways that will help you develop your thinking for all other areas of your life. I think it's an extremely important and valuable thing to do, and it's obviously extremely plus EV to do it. So uh, I want to strongly encourage you to do that. If you want more information, you can check out the missions page. But this is one of those things. Again, we talked about missions. The idea is things that help OWS, but also help you. This one helps OWS more than any of the other missions that we'll have, at least in the short term. Uh, But it also, I think, helps you in the long term more than any other mission that we'll have. Because again, you get marketplace courses at a discount and you get potentially profit off of that In other words, marketplace course for free, plus extra money given to you in your pocket, plus a lot of really good, high quality, important experience in thinking through bets and finding profitable bets and working to build this bankroll. Turn that 50 bucks into 100 bucks, which would be $75 profit in your pocket. Turn that 100 bucks into 200 bucks, whatever it might be. Focus on doing that and come up with the process and the steps to do that uh, and get better focus, so on and so forth. Uh, Let's go ahead and move over to this week's bottom up build the meat of this week's angles podcast which we will tie in from a starting point of seeing things from a different angle so one of the things we're likely to see this week and this is again one of the things we want to do in DFS is build rosters consciously not just go in and say okay I'm I'm skimming the surface of my thoughts and I'm going to put this quarterback and this wide receiver and this wide receiver and this bring back and then see what else I can fit from there. But instead, every player you put on your roster and every time you put that player on your roster. So if you build 20 rosters and all of them start with Tom Brady, every single time you do that, think through the angles, think through the ways that he could succeed, think through the ways that he could fail, think through the other players in his price range, who could outscore him. Think about the likelihood of those players outscoring them. Describe what Josh Allen does in this game. Describe how he does well. Describe how he fails. Describe how Tom Brady does well in this game. Describe what he does, how he does well. Describe how he fails. Understand the likelihood of those two things happening, and you start understanding more and more how different pieces fit in different pricing tiers. And you should do that with every player you're putting on your roster every time you're putting a player on your roster. Now, that's if you build rosters the way I do, or I should say that's if you get to know the slate the way I do, which for me, the best way for me to do it, especially now that I'm back to focusing on single entry and and two, three entry max, uh, the best way for me to do that is to build rosters and build a lot of rosters and get a sense of how all the different pieces fit together. A couple years ago when I was focused on mini multi-entry, it was more about massaging the player pool. And I would still build a lot of rosters to get a sense of different things just because my mind has been so trained over the years to ask and answer the questions about players and about games by going through roster builds. 
So in other words, you know, if I'm in the 6K quarterback price range, I'm going to look at Matt Ryan. I'm going to look at, if I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to put Matt Ryan on here. I then have to think about, okay, who else is in this price range? Let me think through Kirk Cousins, which forces me to think through that entire Vikings offense, which forces me to think through that entire game. Let me think through Carson Wentz, who's slightly cheaper than Matt Ryan. Let me think through that whole offense. Let me think through that whole game. And so by doing that, you kind of keep forcing yourself to see all the different things. But the other way to do it is from either a game by game perspective or just a a macro player pool perspective. But as you're kind of moving pieces on and off your player pool, on and off your rosters, you should be consciously thinking more deeply into each player, into each game, into the ways pieces fit together. This is how you outmaneuver the field in DFS, not just your initial surface thoughts. A lot of times your initial surface thoughts will be correct, but you need to go two, three, four layers down in those initial surface thoughts in order to have that confidence that they are correct, that they are plus EV. Otherwise, you come out of the week on a losing weekend and always wonder if you did things right or wrong. If you go three, four layers down at the front end of the week or, or before you lock in your roster and things don't break your way, you have a lot more confidence that you actually thought through things correctly because you already thought through the ways this game could fail. You already thought through all the pieces priced around it. You already thought through the different ways you could put rosters together. And there are not going to be that many weeks where a player has a huge game and you just never thought about them. There are not going to be that many weeks where a player that you rostered heavily has a bad game and you are confused as to why. Because again, you will have already thought through the ways that this player can succeed, the way that this player can fail, and you're hunting for all the players on the slate who could put the slate out of reach. I remember, I think it was week six last year, and I could have the week totally wrong, but there was one week last year where Joe Mixon put up like well over 30 points. I think it was 45 points, actually. Uh, Okay, I just looked it up. It was 45 points. Way to go, JM. It was 45 points. It was week four and 45.1 DraftKings points. And nobody was on Mixon that week. He was under 5% owned. And what really bothered me that week was that I hadn't considered him. And optimally, I will only have one or two of those a year of a player that has a huge game and I wasn't on them And I didn't even consider that. This year, Miles Gaskin's 31-point game or whatever that was at like sub-1% ownership. I considered Miles Gaskin that week. I, I, I wasn't bothered by the fact that I didn't play him. What was important to me was that I had thought through that spot and assessed the chances of him having a big game and actually identified that identified enough so that he was on the extreme fringes of my builds that he could have a huge game. Cordell Patterson's first big game. Same thing. I considered him that week. Adam Thielen's 30 plus point game when he was 5,500 or whatever he cost that week and nobody was rostering him. I seriously considered him that week and thought through all the angles. And that's important. When a player has a huge game, we should be able to say, okay, well, I didn't have them, but I thought through that player. I know why they had that big game. I also know why I didn't roster them. And then it's not a thing of, oh God, this guy had a big game. Why didn't I play him? And instead it's, okay, I'm on the right track. I was thinking to these players, I didn't miss any of the spots that could have blown up. And part of the way that we get there is by thinking that second, third, fourth layer down in every spot of the slate. So whatever way 
you need to come up with to be able to do that. Again, for me, it happens pretty organically because I build rosters. I force myself to build around different games, around different tiers of, of pricing at different positions, which over the course of you know several days of doing this, I end up seeing everything. Now, in addition to that, I also go through the NFL Edge. I write up my DFS interpretation. And so I'm always having to kind of see all the different angles at all the different levels. So whatever process you can come up with that forces you to do that can allow you to come out of each week already knowing that you had good process regardless of the results. So one of the things that I thought was interesting this week that ties back into what we were talking about at the top with thinking through things, finding different angles, seeing things differently than the field is seeing them, and also ties into what we were just talking about, about thinking more deeply into each spot. One of the, I I guess I won't say one of the more common roster constructions this week because when you're talking about like a big stack, it's never going to be super common, right? You can only play one quarterback. So even a high owned quarterback is usually, I mean, we've seen a few 15 and 20% owned quarterbacks, but you know, it's going to be like 10, 11, 12%. And then how many people are playing that 10, 11, 12% owned quarterback and playing the exact same stack that we're going to talk about here, right? So high owned stack isn't going to be like a high owned player where it's 30% owned, but high owned stack still, right? Like the stack is supposed to be one of the things that kind of sets you apart and gives you that clearer path to first place. So when you have a stack that is even like 2% owned, well, that would mean that in a contest with 10,000 entries, even if that stack goes off, right? 10,000 entries, most of the money is at the top in first place. Well, if this stack is 2% owned, that means 200 rosters still have that stack. You still have 200 rosters you have to beat for first place. And that's a lot better than having 10,000 rosters, but that stack alone isn't getting you to first place. So understanding where the popular stacks are going to be is important. Understanding where you can do things differently from there on your rosters is also valuable. But I think that one of the stacks that we'll see a decent amount of this week compared to stack ownership is stacks focused on the bucks and stacks that have, let's say Chris Godwin plays, right? Stacks that have Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Terry McLaurin. That would be a very common stack, and that's a very smart stack. As we talked about in the NFL Edge write-up for this game, the the DFS interpretation for this game, the player grid, as we're talking about now, as we talk about in the Oracle this week, as we talk about everywhere, this is a high-probability spot. It is... The, one of the highest scoring offenses in the league against one of the worst defenses in the league, probably the best passing attack in the league against what might be the worst pass defense in the league, a team that we know is going to stay aggressive throughout the game, a team that typically spreads the ball around a little bit through the air, but is missing one of their top three receivers, is missing their top tight end, and so it condenses the target tree. And so if Godwin's out there, Godwin plus Mike Evans is a high-confidence bet. Wrapping Brady into that is a high confidence bet. We've had three games without Antonio Brown. They have, even in the game where Marshawn Lattimore basically erased Mike Evans, these guys have combined for 70 to 90 points in all three of those games. Add in the fact that this is a great spot for them from a matchup standpoint, and it's pretty high confidence that you're going to get, if Godwin plays, a good 70 to 90 points from this three-player stack. We can throw salary multipliers out the window and just say 70 to 90 points from any three-player combo is excellent, and then the price isn't prohibitive enough that we should be concerned. Additionally, there are or there should be enough value this week 
that we can worry a little bit less about the exact salary multiplier we're getting at the high end of the price range as long as we are getting guaranteed points. So that could be Najee Harris, that could be Deontay Johnson, or better yet, that could be a three-player block that has a high probability of getting you this big block of points. And again, if they score 90 points combined, 85 to 90 points combined, they're keeping you on a 200 plus point pace. So you're in great shape basically no matter what with this three-player stack. And then the obvious bring back is Terry McLaurin. Alpha receiver, he has three games this year of 28 plus points, has a lot of upside. We know that Washington should be passing. We know that Tampa forces shorter passes, but volume alone could get Terry McLaurin to another big game. He adds a touchdown. It's a good place to go, right? Makes a lot of sense. But the more time you spend with this stack, the more time you start trying to poke holes in it. The more time you start trying to see if there's a better way to play it. And one of the things that you see, and this isn't news to you if you read the DFS interpretation for this game already, but it's very interesting to talk through and lay out. Brady, he doesn't have rushing upside, right? So he's basically getting you 25 to 30, 31, 32 points. He can get there with McLaurin having an eight-point game. The Bucks can win 42 to 10 in this spot. And Brady plus Godwin plus Evans can be the top stack and no bring back is required. They can also get there in a game where McLaurin disappoints and McKissick has a big game. So Brady plus plus Evans plus Godwin plus McKissick. That's another way to play it. But what's interesting is this. Terry McLaurin has three big games this year. In those three games, he has scored 28.2 to 33.3 points. Well, if you're putting him on this Bucks stack, that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping he gets another one of his 30-point games. So the next question that I want to ask here is, what does Heineke do in those games where McLaurin hits? Well, in those three games where McLaurin has hit, Heineke has 24.04 points, 27.9 points, and 22.22 points. In other words, it would be very difficult for McLaurin to have a 30-plus point game or 28-plus point game without Heineke also significantly outperforming his salary-based expectations. Furthermore, we already said that we can generally expect Brady in these games where he supports a big game from his wide receivers. We can generally expect him to score 25 to 30, 31, 32 points. Well, Heineke costs 2.2K less in salary than Brady. So if Heineke gets you 22 to 27 points and Brady gets you 25 to 32 points, in almost every scenario, Heineke is going to be close enough to Brady's score that that 2,200 in savings is well worth it for what you can do elsewhere on your roster with that money. In other words, Brady gets 29 points and Heineke gets 26. Brady outscored him, sure, but what would you rather have? Those three extra points for 2,200 extra in salary? Right, we're always talking about salary multipliers, 4x salary multipliers. For an extra 2,200 in salary, you should somewhere be able to find an extra eight or nine points. So unless Brady is outscoring Heineke by eight or nine points or at least seven points, there's really, it's hard to justify going to Brady if Heineke is going to stay in that closer range. If Heineke, if Heineke is going to be only three, four, five points behind Brady. And basically by putting McLaurin on this Bucks stack, 
you are saying that you expect Heineke to score pretty close to Brady. So those are the, the little things that now I don't know that Godwin's going to be active this week. He's currently shaping up as a game time decision. I also think that if Godwin is out, it will throw people off a little bit because they won't feel as confident betting on Tyler Johnson. Uh, honestly, like the Tyler Johnson plus Mike Evans plus Brady stack becomes just that much more valuable because sure, Tyler Johnson's not going to have Godwin's 30 point score more than likely 25 to 30 point score. But with the drop in price tag, you're actually going to get an even better salary multiplier from this player block than you would from the other player block. Uh, But I think that the ownership will be a little bit lower on it. But the point still stands that a Brady plus two pass catchers plus McLaurin stack, which will be decently popular, especially if Godwin plays actually is less plus EV than a Heineke plus two bucks pass catchers plus McLaurin stack. Finding those little things, those little ways to see the slate just slightly differently than everybody else to gain that slight edge. Again, we're we're often working with small margin games here. This is why somebody like Cubs fan, if the if the prop bet is 72 and a half on this site and 77 and a half on this site to him, that's like the difference between winning the bet 52% of the time and 55% of the time over time. If you're always looking for those little extra edges that builds up the difference between 10% rake and 2% overlay that builds up over time. So looking for these little places, right? Like the, the Heineke Brady thing, it's not a huge edge, But adding in these little edges makes such a big difference because, again, we're playing small margin games where if you can tilt things just a little bit extra in your favor, think about people who count cards in blackjack. The idea isn't that suddenly you're some huge favorite over the house. The idea is just that look at you've been to Vegas before, right? Look how huge those casinos are. Look at how opulent everything is. How does Vegas make that much money? Outside of the slot machines where they've got like a 15% edge, most of their edges are 1%, 2% edges. In places, 3%, 4%, roulette, 5 6%, right? Uh, sports betting with the VIG, it's, it's what, like 25 to 3%, I think. Um, so the, the idea with counting cards is that people are able to flip that edge from being slightly in the casino's favor to being slightly in their favor. So that over time, they know, absolutely know, they are going to make money. It's the same type of thinking in DFS, in sports betting, is finding these small edges, these small places that over time you're turning things in your favor instead of things being against you. And so again, a little thing like this of just saying, oh yeah, this this Brady plus two pass catchers plus McLaurin stack makes sense. You know what makes more sense? You know what would make more money over time is replacing Brady with Heineke. Something that simple makes a big difference over time. Now, I started this bottom-up build with that stack. Heineke plus Evans plus I put Tyler Johnson on here. We're going to assume on this. There's a lot that we have to assume this week on the bottom-up build because it's Friday and we've got so much injury news up in the air that won't be resolved until Saturday afternoon or even Sunday morning. But... I put Tyler Johnson on this roster and my initial start was Heineke plus Tyler Johnson plus Mike Evans plus Terry McLaurin. As I moved deeper into this roster, I realized that McLaurin was basically cutting me out from being able to do some of the other things I wanted to do, primarily at running back. And so with that, I pivoted from Heineke up to Brady and took McLaurin out. 
as always, our job is not to predict what's going to happen so much as it is to understand how to take advantage of the different things that can happen, to understand the likelihood of something happening, and then to understand how to position ourselves to take advantage of that when it happens. That's pretty important if you want to rewind like 15 seconds and listen to that a second time. But we are people tend to think that this is a game about predicting what's going to happen. But really, what all we need to do is understand what can happen, what's likely is to happen, and then how we position ourselves to profit off those things when they do happen. So on this roster, originally it was, hey, I'm going to bet on a game environment in which Washington is able to keep pace. McLaurin has a big game and Heineke gets close to Brady's score. Once I realized that that didn't work out for some of the other things I wanted to do on this roster as a whole, keeping this under a 44K salary cap for the small handful of you who are new to the Angles podcast, that's what this bottom-up build is, is a build underneath a 44K salary cap. And so I wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted to do on the other parts of my roster. So since I'm not worried about trying to predict what's going to happen, but instead just understanding what can happen and positioning myself appropriately, I pivoted over to say, okay, now this roster is betting on a scenario in which Washington doesn't keep up, in which McLaurin doesn't have a big game, and thus Brady is the better quarterback play. I now don't have a bring back from the Washington side. And so the starting point for this roster ends up being Tom Brady, Mike Evans, and Tyler Johnson. The next player on this roster is pretty obvious and straightforward. It's Dearness Johnson. Now, I want to, I, I won't belabor the point here because this is also in the player grid and I, I'm trying to cut down on the, the double dealing as much as I can. But Dearness Johnson, it's important to think about how the Patriots play defense. It's important to keep in mind, in fact, I'll bring up the exact numbers from the player grid. That the Patriots, and we've talked about this a lot on the site over the years, but the Patriots design their defense to give up yards on the ground between the 20s because it's a lot harder, I'll put it like this, it's a lot harder to score when you have to complete entire drives than it is to score when you can pick up chunk plays. Most teams are not good enough disciplined enough, consistent enough to put together 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives consistently throughout a game. As such, the Patriots have always designed their defense or for years have designed their defense to say basically, hey, look, we will make it relatively easy for you to run on us between the 20s, but we're going to make it tough for you to pass on us. You are going to have to march the field. Then, once you get down closer to the end zone, we are going to shift things. Analytically, it is much easier to score on the ground inside the 10 than it is to score through the air. With the field getting all tightened up and condensed, it just becomes more difficult to get passing touchdowns when you're down that close to the end zone. That is why smart teams tend to tilt more toward the run when they get closer to the end zone. Not all smart teams, different teams have different strengths as far as like who their quarterback is and who's in their backfield and all that. But by and large, smart teams are going to turn toward the run as they get closer to the end zone. So the Patriots take away the run as they get closer to the end zone to such an extent that the Patriots have allowed the fewest running back touchdowns, fewest rushing touchdowns for running backs in the NFL this year. In 2019, they allowed the fewest running back rushing touchdowns. In 2018, they allowed the second fewest running back 
rushing touchdowns. In 2017, they allowed the third fewest running back rushing touchdowns. In 2016, they allowed the fewest running back rushing touchdowns. This is totally different personnel. This is different defensive coordinators. This spans a long time in the NFL, right? Five, six seasons. That's an extraordinary. Some teams have gone through three or four head coaches in that amount of time. And this is a fundamental approach of the Patriots. They're going to make it difficult for you to score touchdowns on the ground. We skipped over 2020. That's the only year that the Patriots had a down year last year. And they were still only three rushing touchdowns more than the team that allowed the fewest in the NFL. So basically, no matter which way you cut it, the Patriots are going to make it tough to score on the ground. With that said, they're going to make it relatively easy for a running back to pick up yards between the 20s. And they're always going to have bigger linebackers that are not going to be as good in coverage on running backs who are good through the air. So Dearness Johnson, I lay all that out to say, he's not a slam dunk, even at 4,700. It shouldn't be a total shock if he ends up with 14 or 15 points. Now that's a great score at 4,700. The chances of him bombing are low. In cash games, I wouldn't even think about it. I would play him. In tournaments, if you want to play him, he's super sharp. I don't know yet if I will have him on my one or two or three tournament rosters or not. I could have him on all two or three rosters I build. I could have him on none. I could have him on one out of two, one out of three, two out of three. We'll see what ends up happening. But I think it's important to lay out. It's easy to look at the positives. And one of the things we talk about in Inner Circle is when your inclination is to think positively, you should also force yourself to think negatively. When your inclination is to think negatively, you should force yourself to think positively. How could this player succeed? What might people be missing? This guy's only going to be 2% owned. Can he succeed more than 2% of the time in this spot? So if your inclination is to think negatively, assume that the field is also thinking negatively about that spot. If your inclination is to think positively, assume the field is doing the same thing. So on somebody like Dearness Johnson, it's more important, I think, to lay out the ways this guy could fail or at least disappoint than it is to lay out the ways that he could succeed. But Dearness Johnson, super sharp play. And on this roster, we are going to lock him into our bottom-up build. Part of the reason I feel comfortable locking him into this bottom-up build is because I know that we are going to be doing some other things on this roster that are different than what other people would be doing with a salary cap of 44K. So originally, like I said, we had Heineke, we had McLaurin on this roster. But what that was going to force me to do was to go down to another one of these lower-cost running backs. Now, I talk about this in the player grid as well, but if Zach Moss is out, Devin Singletary is a super sharp play. If Kamara is out, which we're trending in that direction, Mark Ingram is a sharp play. He's a lesser play than Dearness Johnson. He's a lesser play than Singletary. Singletary might actually, this is crazy, but might actually be a better play than Dearness Johnson because he will have... Assuming that he gets 80% of the workload, uh, this was laid out in the NFL Edge for this game, but the combined workload between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, I think Hilo wrote up this game and he laid out all of this, so I would encourage you to check it out, but the combined workload between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary is basically an elite running back's workload. Now, Singletary probably won't play 100% of the snaps, but if he gets close to that full workload, he could end up with 18 carries and six or seven targets against a Jets team that has allowed, this is off the top of my head, but I think it's the second most rushing yards to running backs, the fourth most receiving yards to running backs, and the definitely the most overall touchdowns to running backs, 14 on the ground and two through the air. So Singletary might actually be a better play than Dearness Johnson, just e- even if they were owned at the same level, and he'll probably be owned at a significantly lower 
level. So Singletary is very interesting, but there's enough up in the air right there where Zach Moss practiced on Thursday in a non-contact jersey. I'm recording this before Friday practice reports have come out. And so I don't want to put Singletary on this roster. And I wanted to, as, as such, I wanted to move out of this cheaper running back range on my second running back spot and move up to one of these more expensive running backs. So we have Austin Eckler, who's in a great spot. We have Dalvin Cook, who's in a great spot. We have Jonathan Taylor, who's in a great spot. And we have Najee Harris, who's in a great spot. So when I had the Terry McLaurin uh, and uh, Taylor Heineke, (laughs) Terry and Taylor stack, uh, I didn't have enough salary left to get up to one of these other running backs. So I was going to end up in like the 6,800 range for running back. And I didn't feel like I would be giving myself enough of an edge on this roster, which is what led to me pivoting down from McLaurin at wide receiver, pivoting up to Brady at quarterback, and basically prioritizing that elite second running back as my next piece on this build. A a spot where if everybody had a 44K salary cap, I would be getting lower ownership. And this also gives me an opportunity here to talk about that we have a lot of high-priced running backs who are in good spots this week with a lot of upside. And so those are all places that I want to be considering. There are different ways, there are a lot of different ways to build this week, depending on how uh, late injury news shakes out. But those running backs I named are all very much in the mix for me. And so Jonathan Taylor is one who I wanted to get onto this roster. So that now gives me a roster of Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Tyler Johnson, Dearness Johnson, and Jonathan Taylor. And if you are building along with me, you see that this basically kind of dictates the rest of this roster for me because we don't have that much salary left. The great thing is there are some pretty good salary saver options this week. At tight end, you could go with Pat Fryermuth. We should keep in mind that two things. One, Eric Ebron is going to be back this week. Two, as we laid out in the NFL edge here, the I'll, I'll basically I'll say it like this. Chase Claypool has been getting five or six targets per game. James Washington is going to step in and probably get four or five targets. So we we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that Claypool being out, again, this is where actually thinking third, fourth level, second, third, fourth level on every spot on the slate helps us. A lot of people are just going to say, oh, Chase Claypool's out. This makes Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris even better plays in the soft matchup against the Lions. This makes Pat Fryermuth an even better play. Well, it really doesn't affect those guys in terms of expected volume because Claypool doesn't see that much volume. Five, six targets, right? Like if the game flow ends up weird where Roethlisberger throws the ball five or six fewer times, well, that basically takes away the entire impact of Claypool being out. So I wouldn't overrate that. But Fryermuth is still in play among these cheaper tight ends. So Ricky Seals-Jones, Dan Arnold, Pat Fryermuth are all in play. We just talked about Claypool being out. Cheap wide receivers who are in play. James Washington, very much in play. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, we dive into these guys in the player grid, so I won't go too deep into them here, but very much in play. And we're looking for guys, we're talking tournaments, right? So low floors, yes. But where else can you pay 3500 and find a player who can get you 20 to 25 points? The great thing about James Washington, the great thing about Marquez Valdez-Scantling is they don't need heavy volume in order to hit. 
they can hit on four, five, six targets because they have these explosive, they have explosive upside to their game, basically. James Washington is probably going to be used in the short and intermediate area as well, but he'll get a couple downfield looks. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is, is used primarily as a downfield piece in this Packers offense. And so, you know, three catches for 120 yards and a touchdown is not out of range. What was the game that Donovan Peoples-Jones put up a few weeks ago? I think it was three for 110 and two touchdowns. So understand what can happen with players like this, guys who can put up you know big plays and can score from anywhere on the field. And that's part of kind of what, the way that they're used in the offense. So uh, James Washington, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Dan Arnold are all going to slot onto this roster. Deontay Harris is another guy who's uh, affordable and who I have interest in this week, basically seven to eight targets in three of his last four games, a lot of intermediate work, but he can bust a long play. And just those targets are valuable at 4K. Uh, Russell Gage is another one who we can keep in mind. Again, uh, more short intermediate than big play upside. Even last year when when Julio was out and he was basically running Julio's route tree, he wasn't able to crack 100 yards, even seeing double-digit targets. So he can get there, but you know, more than likely you're getting kind of a Zach Pascal type of production just with a few extra targets. But again, another player who's very much in the mix, Jamal Agnew is another player who's affordable and is in the mix. And again, the cheap running backs. But from a macro salary allocation standpoint, I'm giving myself the most possible upside by actually paying up at running back where I get not only the upside, but also a lot more certainty, a higher likelihood of that upside hitting than I would paying up for a different wide receiver who might have a broader range of outcomes. So if Jonathan Taylor scores 22 points, it will look like it wasn't worth it. But the thing is, Taylor scores 20 points in a bad game and he can score 30, 35 plus in a good game in this matchup against the Jaguars. Whereas one of these wide receivers at the high end of the price range, if everything goes well, they can score 30, 31, 32. But if they miss, they can end up scoring eight points, nine points, 10 points, 11 points. So if I'm going to take on that range of volatility, I'd rather take it on the lower ends of the price range, taking Marquez Valdez-Scantling, taking James Washington, guys who could get me 20 to 25 points or could get me six, seven points. But if they get me six, seven points, it doesn't hurt me nearly as much because I'm not paying that much for them. Uh, and then lastly, we have the Titans defense, which is one of the top teams in the NFL in terms of pressure rates, in terms of sacks, in terms of adjusted sack rate. And they're playing this Saints team that could be without Alvin Kamara, that is either going to be playing Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill or both at quarterback. And so while we don't ever want to be too overconfident in betting against a Sean Payton offense. Things set up really well for this defense that is only 2,600. Another way I could have played this is I could have gone down to the Vikings defense, which, again, one of the top defenses in the NFL in pressure rates in sacks, uh, you know, rarely give up or, or, or almost basically almost always score like five to seven to nine defense special teams points and have double digit upside. And they cost, I think it's 2,300 on this slate. So I could have gone that down there. And instead of James Washington, I could have gone up to Deontay Harris at 4K, but I ended up sticking with James Washington, going with the Titans defense. And that gives us a bottom up build of Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Tyler Johnson, as my Bucks stack, Dearness Johnson as my cheap running back, Jonathan Taylor as my other pay-up piece. I am able to do that because we have the upside, the affordable upside of James Washington and Marquez Valdez-Scantling down here, the certainty plus upside with Dan Arnold for only 3,500. And by certainty plus upside, I mean 
for the fact that we're spending only 3,500, he comes with a, a lot of certainty, right? Like a bad game is going to be five or six targets. He has seven to 10 target upside in this offense. And at the tight end position, that's pretty darn good. So Dan Arnold at 3,500 and the Titans defense giving us 43.7K in salary spent and 6.3K in salary left over. With that... I have things pretty much covered this week between this Angles podcast and the player grid. As I've talked about recently, I've been focused more on single entry and basically kind of going back to the way that I played four or five years ago, which has been a lot of fun for me. And again, now that we have so many other voices on the site, I don't feel the need to cover everything, which allows me to more focus on what I'm best at and to share those things with you guys, which I think is better all the way around. Like it's better for Hilo to focus on what he's best at, for Mike to focus on what he's best at, for Sonic to focus on what he's best at, for Xanabir to focus on what he's best at, so on and so forth, and for me to focus on what I'm best at because then you're able to get the best out of each of us. So from my standpoint of focusing on one to three rosters this week, I obviously have a very narrow pool. I have a broad pool at running back, and so I am countering that by having a very narrow focus at the pass catcher side of things and basically focus on focusing on this Bucks passing attack and this Bucks Washington setup. I will have that on each of my rosters, two Bucks receivers, and then sort of go from there. Uh, but yeah, everything is covered here and in the player grid as far as the way I'm seeing this slate, everything else for his way, as far as how others are seeing the slate will be covered in the scroll. Um, I want to encourage you if you're still listening after that little rambling finish there, uh, please check out the missions page and check out mission number four. Again, it's not only valuable for OWS, which in the long term is valuable for you, but it's also extremely valuable for you. It's, it's cheaper courses, it's discounts on courses with the chance to get extra money in your pocket with extra training, like live training reps associated with it. So I want to strong, strongly encourage you, if you're in one of those 11 states, sign up for one or two or three sports books. Scoop up, I mean, listen, courses cost 75 edge points. If you sign up for three sports books, that's 300 edge points. That's $160, $156 worth of free marketplace courses. You would basically put $75 across three sports books to get $156 worth of courses and you'd get $75 matched from those sports books and have an opportunity to turn that into more money. You could say, hey, I've got $150 bankroll now. Let's play through what they're giving me and let's try to turn $150 into $275, $300, pick up $200 profit and four free courses $156 worth of courses, uh, and, and get a bunch of good training along the way. So again, it's, it's great for OWS. It helps us a lot, but it also helps you a lot. So if you're in one of those 11 states, I strongly encourage you to take advantage of this, uh, see what you can learn from this and how you can apply this to other areas of your life. If you're not in one of those 11 states, shoot us an email. You will still get some entries into the week 15 drawings. All of the information is on the missions page with that. I am going to get out of here. Thank you, as always, for hanging out. Uh, and I will see you on the site throughout the weekend. And I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.